Well, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I thought. Thank you. Have to. I get double checked by everybody whether I turned on the recorder or not. So, because I have a habit of forgetting. <laughs> At any rate, this morning we're going to continue in this uh, long sentence of verses uh, 3 through 9. We're going to look at uh, 6 through 9 this morning and, and finish off this, uh, this section uh, uh, that kind of introduces uh, the book of First uh, Peter. <clears throat> and we're going to, uh, uh, just as a kind of a reminder, in, in three, through, 3 through 3 through 5 is... is all a part of of this one sentence. That's its problem. Peter wrote it as one sentence. Good morning. Good morning. At any rate, this morning we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 9 and finish up this, uh, this singular sentence that ran from verse 3, in which, uh, in which uh, he began by uh, sp- speaking of the blessings that are ours um, as a result of, uh, of the salvation provided through, through our God and, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he tells us that it was according to his great mercy that he caused us to be born again to a living hope. Uh, through Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which provided for us an inheritance, which is reserved, an inheritance that is untouchable by anything. It's absolutely guaranteed, and it doesn't diminish. It can't be spoiled. It can't be squandered. It can't be lost. <clears throat> and and he told us that that would be, and that it was guarded by the power of God in heaven. Uh, waiting for the revelation of Jesus Christ, or waiting for the uh, the last time, uh, ultimately. Uh, so th- then he continues this morning, and we're going to be picking up in verse six. And verse six uh, begins by by simply saying to us, "In this you rejoice." And I want to stop there. That's the first thing he says. In this you rejoice. Well, what he's talking about in the, in this you rejoice. And in fact, if you have an NASB or an LVS or an NIV or a KGB, it adds the word greatly rejoice, uh, which is appropriate to be there because this isn't the simple word for rejoice. We'll expand on that in just a minute. It's it's a it's a very very strong word. And and it, but the big problem comes first of all is how do we understand the this? Where does the this apply? Which can also can be translated whom? Although I don't think you should translate it whom in this text, but nevertheless, it can be and some have translated it that way and they basically say what they're saying then is is that in this you rejoice in the in the fact uh, of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It ties it to either one or both of them, and and it says in them you rejoice is the idea in whom you rejoice. It refers it refers to the God the Father or the Lord Jesus Christ. The biggest problem with that is is in the text in the Greek text, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the this are a mile apart. 
and they don't really relate to each other because they're so far apart. If, if that's what Peter meant, he would have had to reiterate that it was God the Father or the Lord Jesus Christ or both. And he, and he didn't. So that's probably not it. That's probably not the idea. Uh, some have taken the this to say that it refers to salvation. That also cr- creates a grammatical problem because if the this relates to salvation, it needs to be a feminine verb, and it's not. It's a masculine or a neuter verb. And so as a result, it it really can't refer to salvation. It's probably best to understand it in the way I just recited 3 through 5. It's speaking of all of that. It's speaking of the great inheritance that is ours, that we have been blessed to be born again uh, through Jesus Christ, and, and we have an inheritance that can't be touched, that's guarded in heaven for us. In that we greatly rejoice. That's, that's, what, he's, that's what he's saying. It's the sum total of all that he said in 3 through 5. He says we greatly rejoice. That's the way. And, and that follows the flow of this sentence, because what he's going to say is we rejoice in the hope of the future, three through five, and we continue to rejoice in the suffering of trials in the present, six through seven. The word greatly rejoice, I've practiced pronouncing this word, but anyway, <laughs> a, uh, a gallo is used in secular Greek, is not used in secular Greek. It's not found anywhere in secular Greek. It's a New Testament term. And uh, in the New Testament, it, it signifies an intense, an intense happiness. It has the idea of supreme or abundant joy. Uh, that's the idea here. It's not just, I'm really thrilled and happy. It's, I'm beyond that. that that's the idea here. It's a, it's a very intensified word. And it's a word that wherever it is used, it's not used based upon the current circumstance you're in. That's not, it isn't, it isn't a circumstantial joy. Uh, you know, in other words, uh, I stubbed my toe, so yippee hooray. You know, it's not that, it's not that kind of an idea uh, here. It's not based on, it's not based on circumstance. It always refers to spiritual joy, to the joy we have in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's really, really how this word is, is, is in all that we benefit as a result of our fellowship with Him, which is what three through five had talked about. And and it's it's saying it's that kind of a joy, and it usually has re, uh, has reference to our relationship with him. In fact, through this entire text, it's going to speak of our personal relationship with Jesus. That's that's really what 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 is going to be a part of. It's not really the front focal, but it's the overall focal point of this of this text. It's, it's a it's a continu- it's it's a continual and it's 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 in the tense that makes it a continual joy. In other words, we are always in this state. This is we continually rejoice regardless of what is going on around us because of what God through Christ has done on our behalf. The future that is laid for us, the inheritance that is ours, all of those things that we look forward to in heaven causes us to greatly rejoice. That's that's the idea here. Uh, the same verb is used in is used in in uh, in Luke chapter one, verse forty six through forty seven, where Mary says, "My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices." It's the same word in God, my Savior. 
It's used in Acts chapter three, uh, chapter 16, verse 34, when the Philippian jailer is said to rejoice as his whole household has put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's, it's used in Matthew 5.12, where Jesus it tells us to rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. That's, that's the idea behind this word. It's, Peter is saying, greatly rejoice for the living hope produced by the resurrection of Jesus, resulti- resulting in an inheritance guarded by the power of God. That's how he begins this part of this, the second part of this sentence. Greatly rejoice. That's, that is to be our, <clears throat> that is to be our mindset. And then he goes on from there and, and he, he begins to talk about this. And he says, he says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he, he moves now, he goes, this joy is to continue even in trials. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, he's saying, he says, though, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Uh, Peter's words are reminiscent of James uh, 1, 2, where he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. It's the same idea here. It's, it's, and actually, actually, he uses the same wording, in fact. The same words are used here. Uh, the joy of our relationship to our Lord and our Savior is to transcend all earthly grief. That's, that's the idea that he's, that he's expressing here. Not that that grief isn't felt. Certainly, you know, it hurts. God is not denying that. He's not denying you're supposed to say, this doesn't hurt. I'm not in pain. You're not, you're not, that's not what he's saying here. He's simply saying that the underlying premise behind your being should be that of joyfulness in the God who has saved you regardless of what the current circumstance is in your life. Sometimes that's difficult and sometimes it takes a while to get there, but the picture is to have a view on eternity, not the not the current moment. A view of eternity. Look at move over we'll we'll get to this in a few months, probably. Uh, but at any rate, in 1 Peter 5.10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's how Peter is going to close this book. That's the reminder. The focal point is to be eternity. The focal point is to be eternity, not the current circumstance. And then Peter is going to give four insights that are related to these trials. Then we, we take it out of, the, out of the text, the little the words that he uses here. The first thing he says, now for a little while. That's the first thing. Literally, it says for a season. That's, that's what it says. It says for a season. Uh, the point is trials eventually pass. Now, I will tell you, some trials may not pass until you get called home. I mean, that's a reality in all of this. But ultimately, they pass. Ultimately, they pass. Uh, they, 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 he, he, he says they, they pass 
in relationship to eternity quickly. They don't last uh, all that long. That's what he's wanting us to know here. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.17, he spoke of the things, after giving this long list of all the stuff he had been through, and it's quite a list. If you think you've got problems, read that one. Uh, But at any rate, uh, he says, uh, the momentary light affliction... That's, that's the way he saw it, as momentary light affliction when it was seen in the eternal weight of glory. That, that's, that's what he, he expressed there. He goes, this momentary problem that I have is going to pass, and I need to view it through the, through the lens of eternity, the glory that eternity will bring. That's, that's, that's what he's wanting, he's wanting them to understand here. He says, for a little while... For a little while, but eventually this will pass. Eventually this will pass. And then he goes, if necessary, which kind of adds a little note to this that's a little bit different. It's basically saying God has sovereign purpose when trouble comes into the life of a believer. There's a sovereign purpose in this. He says, if it's necessary. Now, more than likely, for all of us, there are times of trial because they are necessary. Uh, but uh, that's, it does have the indication that you may escape them altogether, but I seriously doubt it. Uh, but he's saying here, if necessary, God has a, sur- a sovereign purpose when trouble comes in the life of a believer. Uh, it can be to humble. Uh, someone who is proud and arrogant, God may bring a circumstance into his life uh, that humbles him, that brings him down, brings him low, uh, causes him to have to recognize God, not trust in his own strength. And, and very often uh, that's the case, especially for those of us who grew up in the John Wayne era of pulling yourself up by your brute scraps and this is what a man is and all of that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, sometimes we try to bring that into Christianity. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Or it may, or it may be, it may be to, to get rid of bad earthly habits, uh, the things that we've carried over from our past life, and God needs to remove those things from us. So therefore, he brings in some kind of problem, some kind of trouble that makes us face that issue. He brings it to light, if you will. Or, or to recognize blessing. Uh, sometimes uh, we're cruising along and think we've got it made, so God brings bro- trouble into our lives, so we understand just how blessed it is to be his. Uh, that's that's very often very often the case. We recognize the blessing uh, that comes along. Uh, another place, and this is a kind of really one that I think is overlooked by a lot of us, is God brings trouble into my life for me to face, so that later on down the line I can help somebody else mm-hmm. who's facing the same problem. Um, a church I used to attend. <clears throat> Quite a while back, we we brought in a a, uh, a youth pastor. The the pastor of the church at that time had known this guy, had discipled him, and brought him along. We brought him in as a youth pastor, and uh, in his in his pre saved life, he had had some issues with various is, issues with substance abuse, and he worked with youth, and he refused to discuss the issues of substance abuse. Here was a guy that knew it who could have really helped young people with it, but he refused. You know, that's not the point. The point is, yeah, it may have been embarrassing what you did, but there's somebody out there that can use your help. 
That's the point here. God brings trouble into our lives so that we can help others. Sometimes it's just flat out to chasten sin. Sometimes it's just flat out you're getting taken to the woodshed. You know, that's just the bottom line. And then it's also meant to strengthen character. It's to build in us godly character. All of these things are, are necessary. God says he'll do this if it's necessary. It doesn't mean you're going to face all of them, although I think I have. But at any rate, uh, you're going to face some of them, probably. Calvin says, said of this verse, he said, His purpose was to show that God does not thus try his people without reason. For if God afflicted us without a cause, it would be grievous to bear. Hence, Peter has taken an argument from consolation, from the design of God, not because the purpose always appears to us, but because we ought to be fully persuaded that it ought to be so, because God God has willed it. In other words, God, Calvin is basically saying, Father knows best. God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing with you. And, he, and while you may not understand it, just like a child does, says when you uh, correct them, it's not fair, you know, you know, how many of you have ever heard that line? It's not fair. My daughter used to think she was four years younger than our oldest son. And, uh, you know, you kind of judge bedtime by age. And as he got to junior high, we let him stay up a little bit later. And she decided that wasn't fair. She should get to stay up because he did. So we would send her to bed and she would lay in bed awake. And then she couldn't go to sleep. But to prove we were wrong. But it didn't work. She just lost a lot of sleep. That's the point. And then finally, uh, uh, not finally. And then the next one he says is... uh, been distressed as we go through this text he says uh, for a little while if necessary you'll be grieved by various trials or distressed that's that's another word for grieved that you've been distressed and the idea here means is the suffering can be physical it can be a physical ailment or problem or it can be mental it can be mental anguish uh, or it could be both um, in, in fact, but but that's the idea here. He, he, he's saying it, it can it, it it involves pain by God's design. Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse ten. For the sake of Christ, then I am content, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. Paul's great line here about strength and weakness, not relying on self, but relying on God in the midst of suffering. God uses it, uses it in that way. And then the final thing, and I'm going to warn you, I spent a lot of time looking at this word because it fascinated me, so I may bore you to death. Uh, But at any rate, various trials. That's the next thing he says. There is no one set trial for everyone. Okay, that's, that's the bottom line here. It says various trials. It says... It says it comes in many forms. Literally, this word various means multicolored or many colors. That's what the word means. They come in all shades is, is the idea here. Uh, the, word is, uh, the word is used again in chapter 4, verse 10. There it's translated manifold, but it's the same word. It's the same word, multicolored. Uh, 
Um, as a car guy and spent my life pretty much in the auto industry, uh, I know about manifolds uh, because I was around before port injection. And uh, uh, when we had carburetors and, and then originally the throttle body injection, and those things distributed the gas-fuel mixture into a manifold that equally distributed to the cylinders. Well, that's not a bad picture, but that's not really the picture here. It's not equally distributed. It's distributed as necessary. It's distributed where needed. That's, that's the idea here that he's, that he's talking about in this, this idea. It's multicolored. It's specifically designed for you, is the idea. That's the idea here. And in 410, same word again, he says this, as each of you receives a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. In other words, God's grace is equally multicolored. That's, that's what he's telling us here. God's grace is equally multicolored. He, he describes, and, in, and, in, and also this same word is used again in Ephesians 3.10, where it's also, also um, <clears throat> used to uh, translate it as manifold, where once again it's talking about God's grace. Uh, it's also used in Matthew 24, or Matthew 4.24 and Mark uh, 134 and Luke 4 uh, 40 where it talks about different diseases and pain uh, they're multicolored they come in different forms in different ways I think we're, we're probably uh, familiar with that and in 2nd Timothy 3 6 it's used of impulses you know these idiot things that come into us and we do something and you say why did you do that and you go I don't know you know th- that kind of thing and, and then in, in, in Titus 3.3, 3, it, it speaks of lust, comes in multicolors as well. Uh, the word is used in various ways, but ultimately what it means is, <clears throat> what it means is, is that the troubles that come to in our life are varied. They're not all the same. Uh, they come in different shapes and in different forms. They come in different colors. But the grace of God also comes in different colors. In other words, I think, this is my heresy on this one, but at any rate, I think what God is saying to us here is this. Simply, while the troubles that come your way, while the, while the, the trials that you may face are multicolored, they come in all different shapes and sizes, the grace is color-coded to match. That's, that's what he's saying here. The grace to take you through it is matched to the trial you're facing. Incidentally, on the positive side, this same word is used in Hebrews 2.4 where it speaks of miracles. They're multicolored too. That's, that's the idea here. The point is, it's color-coded to match the trial. And then in verse 7, he goes on in verse 7, and, and he moves to the purpose of the multicolored trials. He says this, So that the tested genuineness, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying here that trials are a test that prove your genuine faith. And faith is more valuable than the world's standard of value, gold. 
that's what it's saying here. The outcome and the outcome of that testing is praise and glory in the presence of Jesus. Incidentally, the praise and glory is directed at you. Therefore, trials should not diminish our joy, but they should produce a greater joy because our faith is validated. That's, that's the idea here. He, goes, he, he tells us here, first of all, he says, the proof. Proof is actually an assaying term, which fits since he's talking about gold here. It's, 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 it's how you handle metal to find out its purity and determine its true value. Um, <clears throat> once all impurities are removed, Zechariah uh, chapter 13, verse 9. In this context, it's leading up to the restoration of Israel and the coming, the, the millennial kingdom uh, entering in. The day of the Lord is at hand, and, and he has got this poetic section uh, that leads us into that. And in verse 9 of chapter 30, he's 13, talking of the one-third of Israel that ultimately is saved and goes into the millennial reign. He says this, And I will put this third to, into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, say the Lord is my God. That's 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 the idea of this testing, the result of this testing Uh, here. The idea is that God tests the believers faith to prove their genuineness. Incidentally, God doesn't test your faith to prove your genuine genuineness to him. He does it to you so that you recognize that. And it, it furthers your trust in him. God already knows. You remember, he's the one that called you before the foundation of the earth. He knows. But you may not. And that's what it's saying here. He tests you for this reason. Why does it say that it perishes when it's refined? No, it doesn't say it perishes when it's refined. What it's talking about is ultimately gold vanishes. It goes away at some point in time. It diminishes. That, that's what he's saying. We're not quite there yet, but that, that's the idea. He's not saying that it doesn't, that the gold goes away when you refine it. He's just saying that gold is not lasting. Faith is. That's, that's basically the idea that he's going to express here. That, that, uh, in other words, you don't put your trust in gold because gold, gold, gold will go away. That, that's the idea. Anyway, he goes on. He says, uh, Genesis 22, 1 through 8 and 19 is a good example. There, Abraham is tested. The son of promise, he is told to take up on a hill and sacrifice him. That's a test. That's a test I wouldn't want to face. You know? I think sometimes we might ought to, ought to think about that in the world in which we live and the way things seem to be going. Maybe it won't happen in this country, but there are some countries is if they take your children and line them up against the wall and tell you renounce Jesus or I'm going to put a bullet in their head, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You know, that's, that's ultimately the, the test. That's ultimately the test. Abraham faced that test and he came through it and his faith was genuine. His faith was genuine. His, his te- it was tested and proven. And he, and he became the father of all of us who are faithful. So that's, that's, that's part of it. 
And it's not for God's benefit, it's for your benefit. And he says it's tested by fire. Uh, that's how gold is refined. That's how other precious metals are, are refined. Uh, James 3, 5, uh, he, he talks about, he, talks of, he t- speaks of this, uh, of this idea as well. James was in here yesterday. Uh, so also the, oh, three, well, that's the wrong verse. I'm sorry. I don't know which one I wanted there, but anyway, that's the wrong verse. But anyway, he speaks of the benefit here of gold, which is which is which is perishable and 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 is not something that is necessarily lasting. And I'm not quite sure how he meant this was perishable. Uh, maybe in the, I mean, obviously, gold is still a part of the, of the eternal kingdom because the streets are paved with it. That should give you some idea of the value of gold to God. It's equal to asphalt. <laughs> that, that's that's the idea here. He, he basically says he basically says uh, uh, gold is the current world standard, but faith is not perishable. Therefore, it's so much more valuable than gold. Ultimately, is is the idea here? Uh, the testing results. In our praise and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The main point here is true faith will endure any trial one may face, which results in eternal honor from God. That's that's what he's telling us here. This is the combination that God, the combination that God grants to believers. Praise, glory, and honor in chapter 5 of 1 Peter verse 4 and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory that's what this is talking about Uh, God is going to restore is going to bestow honor upon us for our faithful service revelation 21 verse 7 22 verse 12 at the revelation of Jesus Christ it means it's the second coming Uh, it's it's that point it's that point in time where he rewards his redeemed people that's that's the idea. One thirteen. Therefore, preparing your mind for actions and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what he's. That's what he's saying here. He says trials have a purpose. They have a purpose. They are to draw you closer to God. They are to test your faith so that you will know that's where your trust can be placed in God and in God alone. They come in many colors, but the grace comes in many colors too. And they're matched to take you through it. And that testing in God's eyes is more valuable than the most precious metal on earth. That's, that's what he's saying here. Your, your outcome is more precious. And ultimately God will, will show his appreciation for that. And then he goes on and he, and he says, our belief brings joy. <clears throat> I have had a terrible time with sinuses. My throat is not working very good today, so bear with me. Uh, at any rate, uh, verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is expressed and filled with glory. 
obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Uh, Peter does this parallelism right here. He, he says uh, he he in effect is giving a summary to to uh, to verses three through seven, uh, where he is going to tell us that the two important things here are trust and love. That's re- really what he's going to say: belief or faith and trust. They're all synonymous. He says uh, he says those are the things that are that are that are important here. He firstly he begins by saying, "Though you have not seen him, you loved him." This is past tense. Anybody here ever seen Jesus? I haven't. I, I didn't see him in the past. No, you. It's all. Good, I have. You know, we've not seen we've not seen the incarnate Jesus. You know, Peter had. Peter, Peter, Peter tells us so early on that he had in five one. He said that he'd been an eyewitness. <clears throat> But he goes on and he says, uh, uh, you haven't seen him in the past, but yet you love him. That's what he says here. He says, you've not seen him, but you love him. And then he goes on and he says, and you don't see him now, but you believe in him. Present tense. Uh, These are similar to the words that, or these are, uh, in effect, fulfillment of the words uh, Jesus gave to Thomas in John twenty twenty nine, where he says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Uh, there's there's a, a, strong, a strong blessing there. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, We live by faith, not by sight. And the seeing is uh, not necessarily related to believing in this idea. Uh, Peter, who had been an eyewitness of Christ, is expressing the great great faith of those who have not seen him in the past and are not seeing him in the present, yet they love him and they believe or they trust in him. That's that's the idea here. The word the word here, love, is a is a derivative of agape. It's the love of the will of the will. It's in the present tense, which means that it's a continual action. It's a continual action. I told you earlier that this, uh, this text uh, uh, speaks to our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. These, the words that are in this section uh, bring that out because they're all present tense. They all mean these are all continual actions. We continually love Him. That's 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 what it's saying here. Uh, And then it goes on to say that they believe in him. Also a present tense. It's a continual believing in him, a continually loving him, a continually believing in him or trusting him. The word believe basically can be translated trust, rest our confidence in or depend upon. And it's it's a it's a continual action. it's a continual action. And then he does this interesting thing here that, that's, that's kind of unique in a sense. He said, you believe in him. The, the, the preposition in, which also can be, be translated into, uh, was never used in Greek until we get to the New Testament. Never used in this combination, the idea of believe in that that concept does not exist in literature outside of the New Testament. Uh, so the the idea here is it speaks of personal faith. Th- that's what this is speaking about. 
It's a personal faith, a strong personal involvement and believing. It's the idea of resting oneself in Christ. That's what we do when we believe. We put ourselves... Paul goes through this on and on in Romans and in other, in other books about being in Christ. That's, that's our position. That's where we are. We're resting in Him. And it's a, pres- it's a continual action. And then the third continual action that speaks of our relationship to Jesus Christ is to rejoice It's also present tense. It's a continual rejoicing. And it's the same word as verse 6. It's that great rejoicing. It's that intense rejoicing. It's, 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 It's the most powerful form of rejoicing is the idea here. And he says that that rejoicing is inexpressible. Literally, it means higher than speech. It means that the joy is so overwhelming, it leaves you speechless. That's, that's the idea here. It's beyond your ability to articulate it, to explain it fully, and to make... To put it into human terms is the, is the idea here. So he expresses our personal relationship as one with Jesus Christ is one of, of continually loving, continually trusting, and continually rejoicing. Those are the components that Peter says make up our relationship with Jesus. These are all, all the way our lives are to be Marked out, if you will. And then he goes, he goes on and he says, <clears throat> he says, with joy that is inexpressible. And then secondly, that joy is filled with glory. This is the word we get doxology from. It, it means to render the highest praise. That's, that's the idea here. The joy is inexpressible, but we are to render the highest praise. That's the idea that's being expressed in this, in this, in this idea. Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. That's, that's, that's what he's saying here. That's the idea he's wanting us to understand as we come into this to this uh, text. Psalms chapter 68. I guess you really can't talk about joy and expressing joy without going to the Psalms. That just, it's, I think it's a rule. Uh, anyway, Psalms 68, verse 3 and 4. But the, right, uh, but the righteous... But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exalt before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to His name. Lift up a song to Him who rides through the desert. His name is the Lord. Exalt before Him. That's that's the picture that He's that He's He's wanting us to understand. This is what should this should this is what should be embodied in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We love Him always. We trust Him always. We rejoice in Him always. 
Those are, those are the ideas here. And then as we come to the end of this, of this sentence, he says this, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. All of this goes to a point that you're going to be saved, ultimately. You understand salvation has phases to it, but once you enter into it, there is no falling out of it. You were saved, that is, you were justified. You are being currently saved, that is, being sanctified, being changed from glory to glory into the likeness of Jesus Christ to make you ultimately fit for the final step, which is glorification when you go to be with him. That's what this is talking about. That's, that's what it means here. Uh, that's that's what, what salvation is being talked about in this, in this sense. He says, he says obtain, pres- uh, which is presently receiving for yourself. The re- root word is, the root word here is to receive something you deserve. It's a little counter to what we normally think because we don't deserve anything from God. But the result of our faith is God has promised us things that we deserve for that. Is, is ultimately what, what this part of the text is saying. Uh, yeah, because he said so. Ultimately. And it's a result of our personal fellowship uh, with Jesus Christ. He says it results in the outcome of our faith. Here's the outcome. What's the outcome of your faith? Eternity with Jesus Christ. Glorification. And that's what this is talking about. That's the idea here. Uh, that's what this leads to. Ultimately, eternity with Jesus in heaven. It, it, that's what, that's what the, the concept here is. Incidentally, salvation equals, in this present life, the constant and present deliverance from the penalty, power, and guilt of sin. Romans 8.1. That's that's the thing he's wanting us to understand when we come to this to this text. This is this is where our personal relationship with Jesus Christ takes us, and that that relationship is marked by continual love, continual trust, and continual rejoicing, regardless of the circumstances we faced. I think. Uh, the Senate of uh, Dort in 1619 confirmed the Reformational Confession called the Heidelberg Catechism. And question number. Senate of Dort. I mean, it's just funny. I agree. <laughs> How do you spell that? D O R T. Oh, Dort. Dort. Isn't that what I said? It's not like Dork. No, I said Dork. My head is my my head is pretty messed up, so it probably came out that way. Anyway, the first question of that catechism, and incidentally, that has nothing to do with Catholicism. Catechism just means the teaching. This was used this was used to teach people that couldn't read, actually, back in those days. And at any rate, it says. And how would you like if we made you memorize this? And incidentally, this thing is a mile long. We're only doing question one. Uh, Question one says this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Jesus. Oh, the answer is much longer. (laughs) 
that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faith, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of the Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me eternal life. That's question one. And I think that kind of that kind of summarizes kind of summarizes the text we've looked at this morning. Peter, as he's gone through this, he has told us about the great inheritance that is ours in Jesus Christ. He, he calls on blessing upon God and upon the Lord Jesus Christ because of the great mercy that was shown by them toward us in that we were caused to be born again. And that born again was to a living hope. We serve a living Savior and we have a living hope. Our hope is for life eternal. That's 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 the idea that's being expressed here. And that is and that is a result of the fact that Jesus Jesus triumphed over death in the resurrection. That's the next thing he points out to us. He he says through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he says that we have he we have been given as a result of that. We have been given an inheritance And he he speaks of this inheritance in terms of imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Nothing can touch it. That's that's the idea here. And where is it? It's in heaven. It's in the vault of heaven. Probably the most secure place there ever was. The idea is it's untouchable by anything because it's guarded by the power of God. And through our faith, Salvation is ready to be revealed in the last days. And then he goes on to say, because of this, you need to greatly rejoice, even though in life there's going to be trouble. There's going to be trials. There are many different kinds. They have all kinds of purposes. But they're only going to be for a while. And they do, they are necessary. And yes, they do grieve you. But they have purpose because they're testing the genuineness of your faith so that you can know that you are indeed a Christian, that you can know that you truly are a child of God, that that's revealed to you. You understand that because a lot of people struggle with that. And and you're and the, this the result of all this is more precious to God than, than the most valuable metal on earth, gold. And the result is that God is going to reward you with praise, glory, and honor at the coming of Jesus Christ. And for you, you are to continually love Him. You're to continually trust in Him. And you are to continually be rejoicing in Him as evidence of your relationship with Him. That joy should be Almost, it should be to the point that you really don't have the words to fully express it. And it should form a doxology in glory. Because the outcome of your faith 
is the salvation of your soul. Any comments or questions this morning? I think uh, from six to nine which, uh, is one sentence. You follow it all the way through. From three to nine is one sentence. Six, six to nine. <laughs> three to nine. He's been the whole thing is a one sentence in Greek. Okay. In my Bible, <laughs> it's wrong. <laughs> it starts a sentence it has a period after five it starts at six and it refers it all these wonderful things that are that God gives us uh-huh. as you have gone through is always referred back to the time of trial what did you just stop you did yeah. but this is I thought this was just interesting this yeah. All these commas, it goes right there. There's it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, just out of my own curiosity, I'm the get the very beginning you said like salvation was a feminine verb. And I was wondering if that was No 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 no. The this Oh, was this. was feminine okay. or uh, was not feminine. It was masculine or neuter. Okay, so it couldn't be So it couldn't be referring to salvation because salvation require a feminine. Okay. So I was wondering if that was the same thing as what you once taught where um Oh, don't I got to remember something? <laughs> well, like you taught that like, you know, wisdom is a fe- has feminine in um proverbs because that's like a linguistic rule in Hebrew or something or like the whore of Babylon is female because it's like a concept or it's a metaphor or something. Well, that, that case is a metaphor, yeah. So I was just wondering if that was the same thing. Probably similar, but I don't remember. <laughs> I'm 74 years old. I don't remember a lot of things. <laughs> okay. You're a good teacher. She remembers. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and they and take scrupulous notes. <laughs> uh, when I, in, in our former church, I taught through the book of Revelation twice during my time there. And uh, um, this one dear lady in that church takes extensive notes. And the second time I went through it, she showed up with the notes from the first time. <laughs> and it was like, oh, this is intimidating. <laughs> anyway, let's close. Father God, this morning, we just we just give you praise and we give you thanks. Uh, and, and Lord, there are just times that it is inexpressible. Uh, to give you the honor and glory and 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 praise that you fully deserve, and we just we thank you at those times that the Holy Spirit helps us with those things, and we just ask now, Father, that as we have looked at this opening part of the book of First uh, Peter. Uh, that Peter has filled it with so much truth about the salvation that, that is ours and what you have done on our behalf for those whom you called, you elected, you foreknew. Uh, you have provided all the means by which we will reach eternity with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we just, uh, we just humbly thank you and praise you in his name. Amen.